When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 49 of this study. I can't believe that we're already, we're only at chapter 22 and we've already gone through 49 episodes. Will we celebrate on Monday when we get to episode 50? Maybe we will. Um, Because that's a long, that's a lot of stuff. But I'm trying to get through this stuff a little bit faster because it's, uh, it's interesting, but it's not, you know, life shattering. Although, you know, it is, it's God's word. So you can take your time and go through it and enjoy it. Um, where we left off is uh, is uh, Exodus chapter 22, verse uh, 15. We were talking about what happens if you kill somebody, what happens if you uh, kill somebody's animal, what happens if somebody's animal is killed in the wild. Now we're, we're going to get into some other things because one of, one of God's commandments is don't commit adultery. Well, people commit adultery. I mean, we think that that because it was 2,000 years ago that somehow the, the emotional sexual drive between human beings didn't exist back then. <laughs> no, it exists. It always exists, right? So there are going to be times when people commit adultery, right? And so, but what happens? Do you I mean, do you stone them? Do you kill them? And all it says in the Bible is don't commit adultery. So what happens if somebody does? What do you do? Well, Moses and God are having a conversation trying to create case law. So let's just go and take a look. Uh, verse 16 of chapter 22. If a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price, and she shall be his wife. If her father absolutely refused to give her to him, he must still pay the bride price for virgins. Now, folks, I actually love this commandment. This, this um, oh, what do you call it? This, uh, this case law. Because all it says in the in the Bible is don't commit adultery. Now, we have to remember, go back, what is adultery in the Bible? Adultery in the Bible is when you are married to someone and then you uh, have sex or, uh, you know, know, as it is in Genesis 1, with another person. That is what adultery is. Because once you seal the relationship to consummate this thing called marriage, right? Once you consummate that, anything that you do outside of that, that's adultery. Anything that you do, uh, you know, before that, well, you don't do anything before that. I mean, the, the, in the biblical definition, marriage is actually consummation. And in the Old Testament, even at the time of Jesus, they had proposal and then you create the home and then the, the groom comes and gets the bride and brings her to the home and consummates the marriage. This big celebration could last a week. Uh, you know, this whole marriage celebration could last a long time. Today we have marriage celebrations that last, you know, the ceremony is 15 minutes and then the, the, the wedding is typically, uh, you know, three or four hour reception after that. And that's what we do for weddings. Um, but, but the, uh, but each generation has its own way of celebrating and creating marriages because the important thing about a marriage is that, uh, and here, even here in the United States, that there's a contractual relationship because once you get married, you are now contractually related to somebody. You, there are rights and privileges 
and responsibilities between two people once they sign that marriage license. And I mean, it's, it's a legal document that has a whole lot of legal stuff that when I signed that thing, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. You know, I didn't know I was signing a legal document that had a lot of impact in my life. And I suppose if uh, any of you have ever been through a divorce, you realize that that document is an important legal document. Or if you've had a spouse die, you understand that that's an important legal document. And there's all these things that you don't, because when you're getting married, when you know when you're in your 20s or whatever, and you're getting married, you're not thinking about that. You're the, your mind is somewhere else, okay? Um, so even back then though, they had uh, people that committed adultery. Right? If you seduce a virgin who is not pledged to be married, and you sleep with her, then you must go to the father and you must pay the bride price. And you must, I mean, because now, I mean, because when you sleep with her, you're now married to her, okay? And basically what you did is you married her without following the bride price of marriage. And so now in that period of time, this is how it worked, right? If you sleep with a woman, you're now married to her and you can't sleep with any other women. You must be married to her. Oh, and oh, by the way, you have to go and you have to pay the bride price to the father because now you have to do all the things that you didn't do beforehand. Now you have to do them afterwards and you don't get out of responsibility from doing that. Uh, I know that uh, you've all heard of the shotgun wedding, right? Uh, you know, boy, girl sleep together. Well, now you're married and now we're going to make it official because uh, you, so the, the dad gets out the shotgun and says, you're going to marry my daughter because you've now slept with her and she's now your responsibility and she's no longer my responsibility. I'm going to put all that responsibility on you. And so they have the shotgun marriage. Um, it's interesting in, uh, in today's society, it seems like so many people, so many people, this is so pandemic in our society are, not going through the the you know uh, the marriage uh, first before they start acting as they're married, um, and that is very dangerous and it's very um, foolish. Uh, but um, on the other hand, is if you know if you only if you're only married to one person, you technically have not broken God's commandment to commit adultery. It's foolish. It's it's dumb. It's stupid. I would highly recommend not doing that. Uh, but it is not uh, it is not necessarily against God's law, uh, because God's law is basically say that once you once you consummate the marriage, you're married to one person, and everything outside of that marriage is adultery. And this, you know, it is interesting to. I wonder if this will be because this is the way that um, you know that the society seems to be going. I wonder if if the whole idea of this will change over time. I mean, it's, you can see it's changed from uh, what it was 4,000 years ago. It was changed from the time that, that you know, Jesus. Uh, actually, we kind of do it the, the, uh, the way Jesus did. But, you know, the Jesus, you had the proposal first, the you're betrothed, right? And that betrothal could have happened even at birth. I mean, parents may have done an arranged marriage even at birth, right? Um, so once you're proposed and betrothed to somebody, uh, if you broke that betrothal, there were huge penalties at the time of Jesus. Well, today, if you break off an engagement, it's really, there's no real penalties in that. Um, it's not wise. And particularly because I think the male heart is so tender, um, that 
if you break off an engagement and the man, you know, the guy has put his whole entire life's, uh, what do you want to call emotional well-being into the fact that he's going to get married to this woman and then it breaks off, you know, that could be crushing. I suppose it's crushing too for a woman too if it breaks off. But I know that it would be, it would just crush me because once you kind of set your heart on something, uh, if that gets broken, then it's, you know, it's, it's horrible. But it's, it, you know, at the time of Jesus, there were actually some penalties of that. Doesn't appear to be any here. Uh, but there were, but there's doesn't seem to be any penalties for today, except that you may have put a down payment on a venue to have the wedding that you're not going to get that down payment. So there's at some point there's a, a technically a, a cost to it. Um. So if the father says no, I'm not going to let you marry. Uh, then then you have to pay the bride price to the fa- father for virgins, but then you don't get the woman. So that's. This is why, as a legal document, it is good to get all the legal stuff all done before you actually get married. That is the wise thing to do because you want to have all that ready to go so that when you get married, it's all ready to go. Because the last thing you want to do is to sleep with her and then go to the father and say, oh, by the way, I slept with your daughter. I'd like to pay the bride price and marry her. And he's like, nope, sorry, (laughs) but you owe me the money anyway. (laughs) All right, so let's keep going. Uh, verse 18, do not allow a sorceress to live. Now, I don't know much about sorceresses back then. Obviously, people who are sorcery are people who follow dark arts. Um, and, you know, in the Salem witch trials, they actually killed, you know, I don't know how many of them they killed, but, you know, if they determined that you were a witch, they killed you. That all comes back to here also. Now, did they actually kill sorceresses? Back at the time of, they, they might have actually, this one they might have done. Uh, but I think this is because I don't know if a sorceress probably is a sorceress. Um, how do I say this? She's probably not afraid to tell you that she's a sorceress. She's not going to try to get out of it because her the whole idea of sorcery is that I've got power. And so you wouldn't want to reduce that power by saying, oh, I'm not a sorceress. You'd probably say you're a sorceress, but if you did, they could kill you. So that wouldn't be good. Verse 19, anyone who has sexual relationships with an animal is to be put to death. Man, I mean, you'd think, wow. (laughs) But, you know, the things that people do today, they did back then also. And if you had sexual relations with an animal, you would be put to death. And remember, I don't know how many people actually got put to death from this, but... This was just to prevent you. It was a huge hammer of the law to prevent you from doing these things. And uh, of course, I believe that, um, is it, oh, what's the disease that ravished the American Indian uh, for when the uh, Europeans came over? It wasn't syphilis, but smallpox or something like that. Anyway, one of those diseases actually is carried in sheep. <laughs> so we know that this is this happens all the time. Uh, verse 20, whoever sacrifices to any other God, then the Lord must be destroyed. Hmm. Uh, do not mistreat the oppress or oppress the foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Uh, this, uh, you know, this is a great, you know, have a strong tribe, but don't out, if the foreigner comes in, treat them with, you know, treat them as you would your own family. I mean, don't just um, be rude to the foreigner because at one point you were also foreigner in Egypt and they, tra- they taught you, they 
treated you very well. Now, eventually they made you slaves and I had to rescue from that. But for a period of time, they treated you very well as you were Israelites in Egypt. And so treat the foreigner well. Um, uh, and I don't know who would have brought that case to Moses. Like, um, I don't know. I mean, the for I, if a foreigner could have gone to Moses to say, hey, your people are not treating me well, that that's just pretty interesting. We have... In our case law, in the in Arizona, well, maybe Arizona, but in the United States case law, uh, we do believe that if you are in the United States on our property, there are rights uh, that you have simply by being in the United States, and uh, and so there there may be, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we're trying to figure out what to do with people who are foreigners in our land. How much? How much of the social safety net should surround them? We, we, we debate that all the time. But, but even aside from the social safety net, any foreigner that comes to our land, we should treat them with the utmost respect. Any digni- anybody, anybody that comes to the United States should be treated very, very well. And um, the interesting thing is, is that if it wasn't for the potential for social benefits, um, you know, I don't know if this whole... Uh, immigration thing would be a problem. I think we would love to see people move on and treat them well and give them, you know, what the, the greatest hospitality that we possibly could. Uh, and I think in the history of the United States, that has been the vast majority of the history of the United States. It's just we live in weird times right now. All right, uh, we'll go to verse 29. Do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. <laughs> what, uh, um, actually, we, I, I skipped ahead. Sorry. We got to go to verse 22. Um, Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. So even at the Old Testament, there was a social responsibility of the community to take care of the widow or the fatherless or the weak. Um, that, my friends, is fascinating. Now, what what commandment is that uh, that this ties to? Remember, all these case laws tie back to a commandment. So don't take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. Uh, in other words, um, you know, treat people with respect. Don't, don't steal from them. Um, don't kill them. And don't, uh, as Jesus said, don't call them raka or basically belittle them. So all of that is surrounded this. But also we know in the New Testament that Jesus said, um, for whatever you do to the least of my brethren, you do it unto me. Uh, that's, the, that's the parable of the sheeps and the goats. Uh, and so we should love the weak because when we do that, uh, we are basically loving Jesus. And so you could even say, when you say, don't take advantage of the widow or the fatherless, that we're following, you know, to love God um, and, you know, love your neighbor. The whole entire Old Testament is love God, love your neighbor. And so, uh, you, know, you know, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of slavery into Egypt. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, that is embedded in here. To love God is to love the widow and the fatherless. And it's also to not take advantage of them, not to steal from them, not to belittle them. And God is, you know, this is this is case law. So um, Moses, as a tribe, they all have to take care of the weak, and it it go and 
the reason why we in the United States take care of the weak uh, is not necessarily because it's the right thing to do just as an, uh, 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 you know, as, as, with an evolution of mankind that we will take care of the weak. No, because there have been many times throughout society and even across the world today where if you were the outsider or the weak, you were destroyed. And if you look at the animal kingdom, the outsider or the weak will never live. So we are special animals that we take care and love, but that love doesn't come naturally. I believe that that love only comes because God gave these commandments to Moses at Mount Sinai. And we are a Judeo-Christian nation, the United States, and we come from Europe, which is a Judeo-Christian, uh, well, I can even say Christian nation. And that all the things that Europe do and the things that the United States do to love the widow and the fatherless all come back to this case law in Exodus chapter 22. Because if you go to other societies, you will not find this uh, at all. This is definitely a Christian thing, a, a Jewish thing, obviously, because it's the Old Testament. This, this idea that we should look after the weak and the widowless and the fatherless is definitely something that is not natural to mankind. This, but it is natural to Christians and people who follow God. All right, uh, let's go to verse 25. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, uh, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear for I am compassionate. So um, now this is interesting. This whole idea of not charging interest if you lend money to someone who is needy. So I think if a person is not needy, in other words, let's say somebody's going into a business deal and they wanna try a new venture and they need some capital. I think in those situations, it is perfectly fine to go and, um, uh, you know, borrow money with interest because this is part of your business transaction. That's not what's going on here. If you lend money to one of my people who is needy, don't treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. So in other words, if there's somebody that's needy and they really, really are, uh, they just need money to survive, then don't charge it as a business deal. You know, give them the money and don't charge interest. And also, uh, you know, I, and I know many, many people who are very much like this. They will, they will give the money. They will just give the money. Or if, they, if, if the person says, no, I promise I'll pay you back, they'll give the money, but they won't necessarily expect to be paid back. And so if that person ultimately never pays you back, then you know they wish wish them well and say this is a gift to you and all that sort of thing. This is this is something in the heart. This is basically going back to don't take advantage of people who are weak and needy. Um, you, the one of the most uh, needful times that you have in your life is at the death of a spouse, and so there has historically been a practice where funeral directors would take huge advantage of these families because they. They're in so much emotional distress that they're not thinking clearly. And so they're signing things and doing things that make no sense to any normal, logical person, but they do it anyway because of, you know, that's, death is just a crazy time. 
And so we actually have some pretty strong laws on the books here in the United States that says, do not take advantage of somebody. A funeral director has to, there's certain things that they have to do to make sure that they're not taking advantage of families who are going through grieving at that point. And I think most funeral directors wouldn't because then they wouldn't get any repeat. Well, obviously repeat business doesn't make any sense when there's death, but there is repeat business to the same. I mean, their community would repeat business uh, in the funeral director um, area. So it, it's, not, it's also not wise for a funeral director to do that. But, you know, 100 years ago, um, there was no internet. There was no way to to find out these things. You know, did a funeral director actually do this? I mean, because there used to be a time when if you had a business, the government could never come into your books and look at your business. Now the government has carte blanche to come and look at your books uh, because they want to make sure that you paid enough taxes and all that sort of thing. And so they can come in at any time to take a look at any of your operations uh, because of taxation of businesses. But it wasn't always that way. Um, you could You could just have the books and you know the, the person says you know I'm uh, they overcharge me and it's like no I promise you I did not overcharge them and they can't come and look at your books so they can't know all they can do is compare you against other funeral directors anyway that is just oh, we went way over there um so but but this this is so you see this today and you know a lot of Christians will do this today um verse 28 don't do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people um so don't blaspheme God. That's obviously, right, the first commandment. Have no, or, uh, you know, don't take the Lord your God in vain. Could be to that one. Uh, have no other gods before me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's part of blaspheming God. Uh, don't curse the ruler of your people. <laughs> it's in there, folks. You got you to gotta obey your rulers. They're there for a reason. They, they guard against anarchy. Are they perfect? No. Do they do the right things? No. When in the middle of a pandemic, do they do the right things? No. Do they listen to the right people? No. Do they guide us well? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But without rulers, it's anarchy. So, so even Luther, strong proponent of following rulers. What if they're bad rulers? Follow them anyway. What if they're super bad rulers? Then the people will rise up and they'll figure something else out. Um, but while there is law in the land, you, it's pretty clear here from the Old Testament, you got to follow it and you have to follow the rulers. It's just the way it is. Without that, there's anarchy and you, you can't have anarchy. Every man for himself just doesn't work. Um, all right. Uh, I, think, yeah, I think we'll end it there um, and get together tomorrow. So This is so fascinating. I, I love this stuff. Uh, but let's go ahead and just close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for this time together. Uh, thank you for these case laws. Man, they're so fascinating. We can see so many of them and how we do things here in the United States. We're grateful for that. We're grateful for you. We're grateful for the life you give. Be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.